Joshua 22 and verse 10. When they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the land of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great impressive altar. Now the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan, in the region of the Jordan, on the children of Israel's side. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. Then the children of Israel sent Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, to half the tribe of Manasseh, into the land of Gilead. And with him ten rulers, one ruler from each of the chief house of every tribe of Israel, and each one was the head of the house of his father among the divisions of Israel. And they came to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, to the half-tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead. And they spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What treachery is this that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord, and that you have built for yourselves an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord? Is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us, from which we are not cleansed till this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord? but that you must turn away this day from following the Lord. And it shall be if you rebel today against the Lord that tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of the possession of the Lord, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take possession among us. But do not rebel against the Lord, nor rebel against us by building yourselves an altar besides the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan the son of Zerah commit a trespass in the accursed thing, and wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel? And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. Then the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel, The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knows. And let Israel itself know, if it is in rebellion or in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord, or if to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings, or if to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord himself require an account. But in fact, we have done it for fear, for a reason, saying, In time to come, your descendants may speak uh, to our descendants, saying, What have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us. You children of Reuben and children of Gad, you have no part in the Lord. So your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between you and us and our generations after us, that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, and with our peace offerings that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore we said that it will be, when they say this to us or to our generations in time to come, that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, 
or for sacrifices besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before his tabernacle. Now when Phinehas the priest and the rulers of the congregation, the heads of the divisions of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, said to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us. Because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord, now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and the rulers returned from the children of Reuben and the children of Gad, from the land of the Gilead to the land of Canaan, to the children of Israel, and brought back word to them. So the thing pleased the children of Israel, and the children of Israel blessed God. They spoke no more of going against them in battle, to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. The children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness, for it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. God will always remind us of reality. When we stray from him, we begin to slip into a world of fantasy. We begin to slip into a place where we're not really thinking clearly. And we often in our culture uh, find that imagination is, is lauded. Imagination is brought up as something that's, this is going to be something that can help you think. I mean, we want our children to have some form of imagination. But we know that imagination can also get us into trouble. Sometimes we might have a misread signal something that someone says or does, that through our own assumptions can bring bitterness and hatred to our minds. We need to properly handle these things. At times, someone may slide us without even them knowing, and we can carry that burden for the rest of our lives. God wants us to let go of these poisonous attitudes. And he wants us to assume the best about our brothers and sisters in Christ until proven otherwise. And the reason I say all that is that I think that's what we have in this particular passage. There is danger in an assumption. Now, I can assume too much good, can I? And I can also assume too much bad. And I want us to step through this passage and then maybe get some lessons from it at the end. When we think about this, when we think about how serious it is that we work on our relationships together as Christians, it tells me that I need to be very, very, very careful about making assumptions about my brethren. I need to be very careful about assuming certain things about what God wants. I need to be very careful about assuming that a thing is a certain way, when in fact it may be quite different. In this passage, we find the majority of the tribes are ready to fight. And, you know, the fact is, the fa the, why they're fighting, you know, it's a good attitude. You know what? Those people are rebelling against God. And anytime we find that wickedness in our life, we need to be willing and ready to fight in the ways that God has called upon us to do. And if it is warranted, and by every aspect that we see, it is. When we look at Deuteronomy 12, turn back there, we can see in that passage that the location of where this altar was to be seems to be rather important in what is being said. And, and this is the closest that we get to a direct command concerning what the issue is in this passage in Joshua 22. But uh, in Deuteronomy 12 and verse 1, 
These are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their, their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. And you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things, but you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place. And there you shall go. There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all which you have put your, uh, all to which you have put your hand, you and your households, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For as yet you have not come to the rest and in the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety, then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, and all your choice offerings which you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion nor inheritance with you. Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses, in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt, burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. These people gather in Shiloh to, to try to make war against these other tribes. And one thing we have to recognize, when we talk about assumptions, we're dealing with perspectives, we're dealing with biases, we're dealing with things that we come to the table with. And the fact remains that no matter what happens in our lives, no matter how much we read, no matter how much we study, we will always bring a particular perspective to a situation, won't we? That is pretty much unavoidable. And so because of that, when we have these uh, conversations, when we see this, we can recognize that these people they're doing what they believe is right. And the fact is, they know that in order to be faithful to God, they have to hold these people accountable for what they're doing. You think about this warning that we just read. And what does it look like? So we, we, we recognize that God expects us to trust each other, but not to be naive, right? Jesus said in Matthew 10, 16, not exactly the same thing, but... I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So we're to be smart and, and, and uh, informed, but at the same time, we don't, want, we don't want to harm with that knowledge. But the attitude that they have is really based on assumption. This action of going to war is based on zeal without knowledge. Webster's 1828 dictionary defines an assumption as the act of taking for granted or supposing a thing without proof or supposition. For our purposes this morning, essentially we could put, define this as these assumptions, beliefs taken without sufficient evidence, uh, acceptance of religious ideas based on personal sense of right and wrong that seem to us to be right. And this, this actually 
bleeds into a whole bunch of things. And so we're going to be hitting on a bunch of different areas this morning. But hopefully what we see all together is that we need to be careful with making these assumptions. And especially if it's a positive assumption, we want to be careful with that and with the negative ones. But here we have an unfounded charge of rebellion. You look in verse 16 back in Joshua 26, uh, 22, excuse me, and, and you know, what treachery is this? You've committed against the God of Israel to turn away from this day from following the Lord. You've built yourselves an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord. Just in that small, small little bit, you've got three charges there, essentially. But, but at, at its core, you're, you're, you're treachery against the Lord, you're turning away, you're rebelling. And it's an unfounded charge, isn't it? But we see that because we see the whole story, right? But when they're saying this to these people, even as we read, that might be our initial assumption too, right? As we read it, well, they're building another altar. The text doesn't tell us immediately the reason for why this altar is being built. And so we can recognize that possibility. But the fact is, when it gets to this point and you have this interaction, and one thing I want to notice too is that they don't just carry this uh, charge of rebellion and say, you've got to sort this out and you better, you, know, you better figure this out. They're saying, listen, let's offer an alternative. If this doesn't work out for you to be beyond the Jordan, just come, come stay with us. If it's a problem of distance, of, of that, that sort of thing, they're offering an alternative to what's going on. So, so we want to appreciate that, 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 that they're offering that. But the resolution is so wonderful that we see. This is a beautiful story. Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, these tribes, they immediately lean upon the testimony of God, don't they? In their response, they're not saying, how dare you uh, talk to this about me. In their response, they're, when, when you recognize they're seeing, I'm sorry, I'm still back in Deuteronomy 12 here. Uh, let's go back to Joshua 22. But, uh, you know, verse 22, the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knows. He knows. When we're faced with an accusation, we need to be careful about the way that we react to that. And we don't need to be reacting with, uh, with, with hatred or with bitterness or with how, how, how dare you talk to me about this. And then the reality here, if it's rebellion or treachery, do not save us. Listen, if I'm, if I'm rebelling against God, then, then I deserve my punishment. That's a healthy perspective, isn't it? It's not just that they built it. Why did they build it? And I want us to see that they're not concerned about their immediate reputation. They're not concerned about defending themselves. They're concerned about defending the truth. They're concerned that the other side understand why they did what they did, and they're willing to openly explain it all. Brothers and sisters, when, I, when you approach someone about the truth, and you're concerned about something they said or something they did, and their response is defensiveness and pulling back and quietness, we need to be concerned. And when you're not able to get a full explanation from them and you're hearing uh, ways of speech that are cloudy and confusing, we need to be careful about that. That might be a warning sign. But motive and action, both of these things are what we're talking about here. Why did they build it? They built it for fear. They're concerned. 
that the following generations will not recognize that Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh are truly part of the Lord's inheritance. They're worried that the descendants of the other tribes will make their tribes stop fearing God. And let's recognize that this fear is justified. Okay? It's not something that, uh, that, that they're saying that, well, you know, it doesn't even matter what's going on. They're saying, we're concerned about the future. And we know throughout the whole passages of Scripture that we find, we might talk about some of these as well, that, that our faith is something that's precious. And other people can undermine that faith. In the New Testament, the warnings are about those who seek to destroy the faith of others. And we need to be cautious about that uh, as well. But again, what if they had been defensive? You know, how, how dare you accuse me of this? Don't you know me? Don't you know that I'm going to do the right thing? No, they know that any hostility might make the situation worse. And of course, after this response, the children of Israel react with love and with gratefulness. They are, they're appreciative of these things. This day we perceive that the Lord is among us. They, they, they know that and they appreciate it. Now, what if they had, you know, stuck to their guns here, right? Um, even their response, we know certain things about this, right? Their assumptions are gone. Now the truth has been made known. Their perception has changed. And uh, I'm noticing the PDF I printed out is different from what I have up here. I don't think I updated that PDF. Thankfully, I have it on, on a different file. Um, Give me just a second here to get this together. Yeah, very good. So this day we perceive the Lord is among us. Their assumptions have given way to the true perception of what they need. They see the full picture. They see the complete picture here. And they see the intent and motive concerning the altar. And so they're rejoicing in the truth in this. They're seeing the right things. What if they had stuck to their guns? What if they said, hey, listen, this is still an altar. And even though you say this is a memorial, man, you could use that, couldn't you? You could use that. It may not just be a replica. You may be intending on using this later on to do sacrifices. Well, again, isn't that an assumption toward their future actions? Things that they wouldn't have known? Even in their response, they recognized they would be guilty before the Lord of the blood that they would spill. If they continue on, that's why they're so rejoicing in this, that, that, that they're not going to war now. Everything stopped. They're appreciative of that. And someone may ask, well, you know, why, why ask what if about this? Well, I ask what if because assumptions are dangerous and we get it wrong today. You know, this is a beautiful story. This is a story where both sides are doing the right thing. They have the right focus and they have the right, the right intents and motives. But, but we don't always have that, do we? Think about how this situation might have occurred, it might have gone on if it had happened like 100 years later, 200 years later, during the time of the judges. I don't think it would have gone on quite as well as this. We see the children of Israel fighting against each other, even in that book, the judges. So assumptions are dangerous. Why are they dangerous? Well, they may be true, or they may not be true. That's the danger. It's easy to see that we can run off half-cocked based on faulty 
or non-existent evidence. You know, uh, what what if uh, what if we simply believe something that someone told us? You know, sometimes we make assumptions that a certain thing is true just because that's the way we've always learned it. That's the way we've always been taught it. We need to be constantly challenging those foundations and appreciate that, you know, sometimes people believe things that, it, that might be based on evidence, but they have not personally verified the evidence. And what might be assumed by one person may not be an assumption on the part of others. So what we recognize here, I saw this a lot when I was, you know, when I was a teenager. I, I knew the truth, more or less, quote unquote, the truth, but I wasn't able to defend it. And I know that time goes on, things like that, but, but at that time, you know, what I realized now was that I wasn't really a Christian. And time went on, and I, I became a Christian in 2008. But um, you know, what we want to recognize is that we've got to understand not just that it's the truth, but why it's the truth. And we can't just have that based on an assumption. God's approval is based on truth. In John 8.32, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Assumptions do not make us free. John 17.17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Assumptions do not sanctify us. 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Assumptions do not purify our souls. I cannot assume something and let that be the basis or foundation of what I believe. It's up to us to determine precisely what God is looking for and asking for. If we trust someone else to study for us, what are we truly standing upon? Now, you, you, you find situations, you think about this, you know, how many people in the first century obeyed based on the testimony of what they heard, right? But thankfully, the majority of us, we can read and understand. Now, someone today, if, if they literally can't read, and I've run into that before, I got a call one time when we were uh, doing the radio show that said, I, I, I can't read, which I think takes some bravery to admit in this day and age. You know, most people admit, well, my glasses aren't working too well or something like that. They'll, they'll try to say that. But, you know, what do you do at that point? Well, you teach them best you know how. What I recommend is for them to start listening to an audio Bible or something like that. But that's not really what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about the sense that I have to be, have, be based on or founded upon that truth. The sad thing is that assumptions can drive us to do things we may regret. Uh, concerning, for example, negativity, we, we, we think about, we, we don't want to be negative. Well, Ahab assumed, you go back to 1 Kings 22, Ahab assumed that Micaiah, the prophet of God, hated him, and so he hated Micaiah. He, he, he said, you know, there's one prophet left, but, but I hate him, because he doesn't, he doesn't talk about the good things about me. And so he assumed those things. Peter, in Matthew 16, he assumed that the end that Jesus prophesied about himself would not come to be. You know, this thing you're talking about, Jesus, that's not going to happen to you. That was an assumption on his part. Concerning life and what life is and the, the point of life and the, the importance of life. You know, Joab, you go back to 1 Kings 2 and verse 5, how Joab is going to be punished for the deaths of Abner and Amasa. He assumed there was no other conclusion but to slay those in cold blood. We also know in terms of Judas Iscariot, based on Matthew 27 and Acts 1, 
Judas was remorseful. Judas was sorry about what he did. But he assumed that there was no other end but his own death. We make these assumptions and they get us into trouble. Concerning safety, Peter assumed that he needed to deny Jesus in order to be safe. We see that in all four Gospels. That he needed to deny Jesus in the, in the courtyard of the high priest. Concerning being right, and I think, of course, this is a big thing that we struggle with. Job's friends assumed that Job had committed some great sin and ended up directly accusing him of unproven charges that were just assumed. You must have done all these things. We look back in Job 42. Let's actually read there, Job 42, and, and see God's response to these assumptions. Job 42, please. Job 42 and verse 7. And so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Tamanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams, go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept him lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Tamanite and Bildad the Shuite and Zophar the Namathite went and did as the Lord commanded them, for the Lord had accepted Job. See, they assumed that the Lord had forsaken Job. But the truth was that God had accepted him. Do we want to face judgment, brothers and sisters, having brought assumed charges upon someone? Do we want to face judgment having, you know, for example, withdrawn from someone when really we shouldn't have been withdrawn from them? That's something we need to think about. That's something we need to be struggling with. Naaman thought there would be some other way than going into that nasty old Jordan River, 2 Kings 5. He thought that he was going to wave his hand around the place and heal the leprosy. Well, he assumed that, but that, that wasn't, he was wrong. And thankfully, he ended up having a servant that, that helped him get past his pride and understand that, hey, this is, if he had asked you some great thing, you would have gone and done it. So why not do this? Paul, of course, thought he was right. Acts 26, 9. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. How many lives were lost because of Paul's assumptions? Concerning what we think of as justice, 2 Corinthians 2, 6-9, this is such an important passage for us to understand. He says, This punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. For to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Are we being obedient in all things? Not just in holding each other accountable, but once we have seen that accountability work and we've seen that person change, are we being obedient in forgiving and comforting, making sure someone's not swallowed up with sorrow, reaffirming our love? That's what God wants us to do. You know, Diotrephes in 3 John, he assumed that he could decide based on his own understanding who belonged and who didn't. 
that's a terrible assumption to make. If we go back and we read in 3 John 9, you see what is said there. 3 John 9. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Now, I say this is a, an assumption. It may not have been an assumption with Diotrephes. Maybe he was actively working against things, knowledgeably. But regardless, I think we can get to the same spot, can't we? We can take justice into our own hands and skip God in the process. And this attitude, brothers and sisters, is born in hatred and bitterness. It brings us to this point where we are making the rules and we are not allowing God to make the rules. 1 John 3.15 Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. It's the same thing that John is talking about. Proverbs 14.12 There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Have we thought about that in this context? We often think about that you know, out in the sinful world and the denominations and the, the religious world at, at hand, right? We, we think about that, that with this, at least I have. Now, there's a way that seems right to all those churches out there, but the end is death. Well, how about us? What if I base what I'm doing on an assumption that this is the right way to go when indeed it may not be? And that way might indeed be death. Proverbs 30, verse 12, There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. I can't help but think of the generations coming up now. I can't help but think about the fact that we have people in this world that want to crusade against certain things but never look inward and never look at themselves and never consider their own problems. Just a few quick examples. You know, sparkling grape juice can look a lot like wine or champagne, right? You pick it up in the grocery store. It'll be next to the juice. It's got the foil in the bottle and everything. Well, I, I know of a situation actually where a uh, lady, a uh, uh, sister was buying that at a grocery store and uh, another lady just sort of assumed and uh, didn't immediately go to her but began to talk to other people about it. And eventually it kind of became a situation <laughs> until it was cleared up. You know, what if we do that? It's happened. So, so, you know, that's based on an assumption there. What if someone is in prison on false charges? How many people in our prisons are there because of something they didn't do? I'm not, I don't know. But we know it's possible, right? What if someone goes to their death based on false testimony? What if a spouse assumes that the other spouse is unfaithful and divorces without any evidence. We can be naive or deceived and believe that something is false to our ruin. And we can irrevocably harm the hearts and souls of others by harshness and unrighteous judgment based upon an untrue assumption. We will be judged concerning all these things done in the body. We must be careful, brothers and sisters. Do not let right and wrong be perverted, especially among our brethren. Each side in this confrontation was right in its actions and its motives that we read about in Joshua 22, but it's not always the case. 
Sometimes we can have the right motive with the wrong action or the right action with the wrong motive. Both of those are wrong. Smith mentions this in his commentary. Misunderstanding between brethren arises when one group launches into some activity without seeking approval from the congregational leadership and without explaining intentions. Uh, Often, brothers jump to conclusions about motives without first carefully investigating the situation. So, what he's saying basically was that it seems like there may have been assumptions on both sides here. That the tribes assumed that building this altar would be okay and that no one should have any trouble with it. And then there's an assumption on the other side. There's something wrong here. Uh, something that was said, uh, brother, I talked to you in prep of this uh, sermon. If you know, accuse. If you don't know, ask. If you suspect, warn. That's a lot of really, really helpful in these particular cases. But the basic thing is love. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. If you love your brethren, you must assume the best of them. And this is not complicated. This is not complicated. Think about all the assumptions made by the majority of the religious world. Right? People assume God's grace covers our sins even if we're ignorant of them. God's grace will just cover that if I don't know about it. But the scriptures show that ignorance is no excuse. People assume that grace and love you know, and law and obedience are mutually ex- exclusive. They're, you can't have grace with law. You can't have love with obedience. Whereas God's behavior, God's commands, and his wisdom incorporate all of it. It doesn't matter, you know, someone assumes it doesn't matter if we're right, just have love, right? Don't worry about this, you know, just have love. We have to also be vigilant of the opposite assumption, that we must always have the black and white answer to everything. The reality is, just as we talked about with Ecclesiastes this morning, we will not answer all the questions. We continue and strive and study. And that's the point of it, because God wants us to know. God wants us to understand the things that we're able to understand. But there's some things that we have to continue on and keep, keep working and keep striving at. So don't make those assumptions. A few applications, the lesson will be yours. It's good for us to be vigilant and militant in our faith. That's what God wants. God wants us to be active. He wants us to be watching for cracks in the foundation. He wants us to be patching up those cracks or maybe saying, okay, this foundation is faulty. Let's, let's start over again, right? Uh, God even commands us to do these things. But we need to make sure that vigilance is well informed and that that militance is couched in the correct motive and action. The things that I do to deal with these things have to be couched in love and grace and humility. In making and receiving accusations, we have to allow God's love to overwhelm and motivate any consideration, especially our assumptions. We accuse with humility, and we respond to those accusations with humility. So as we think about this, and, and you know, what do we assume about our salvation? Again, the religious world wants us to assume, I'm right with God. There's no problem. But we know that God wants us to ask the questions. God wants us He doesn't necessarily want us to have doubts, but he wants us to entertain the possibility that we might be wrong. And so this morning, if you're not a child of God, please don't assume that you're going to be okay. If you haven't been baptized for the remission of your sins, don't assume that if you die today that you're going to be in the right place. If you are a Christian, 
and there's something that you need to uh, confess or need help with, we encourage you to do that at any rate. Please respond to the gospel as we stand and sing.